0: So this morning, we, we've been doing a series about our relationship with Jesus. Uh, we've been doing this series about having a walk that's real, having a walk that's authentic with God. How many know that this thing we call Christianity is not just a religion, it's not just a punching a ticket to go to heaven, it's actually about having a relationship with the living God. That's what this is about. And, and also, how many know, if you've been a believer for more than 15 minutes, Life can get in the way and uh, draw your attention in all kinds of ways. It's easy to stray and get distracted and get caught up in the things of the world and not focused on our walk with God. And so uh, this, this series we've been doing is to, to help us to refocus, to, 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 to have those tools in our toolbox in which we can daily walk with Christ and, and, and not take that relationship seriously. In our lives in our families' lives and in the in the world in which we live now um, uh, this morning uh, i 'm going to talk about learning to walk with God and i 'm going to talk about three principles about helping us to learn to walk with God before we do just a little bit of an introduction and um, uh, what I'm going to do is just a, a little bit different i had I had a, a in my own personal time with God this week I had this just incredible revelation. It was incredible revelation because it was an intimacy time between me and him. And I'm studying, I'm studying his word, and he showed me something in his word, and and I just, I literally put down everything I was studying, just sat there and just, just kind of sat there in awe as I was meditating on it. And I had been debating all week long, you know, do I, do I want to put it in the message? Do I not want to put it in the message? I'd already been putting the outline together and just. I actually didn't even write it in the outline, and this morning, it just, the Lord won't leave me alone, so can I take a few minutes and share this with you? This is about the significance of our walk with God. But to do it, we've got to take a little history lesson. You see, part of the first things, part of the lesson this morning is to understand that God is the one who initiates a relationship with us, the whole the, the, the whole purpose he has, the whole reason for creation is he wants to dwell with us. He wants a living relationship with us. Well, to get it, let's go back. And I'm going to paint a word picture. And I need, your, I need your help to try to picture yourself as an ancient Israelite. I want you to see yourself in Egypt. I want you to see yourself for decades, for, 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 uh, uh, for millennia. I mean, not millennia, but uh, centuries You are in Egypt, you are oppressed, you are being oppressed by the Egyptians and you're crying out to God and God hears. And finally comes the day when God shows up and he doesn't show up just in your mind, he doesn't show up just in your spirit, he shows up in a big way and starts manifesting himself. Ten incredible plagues, one after the other, demonstrating his greatness, culminating in Passover, and finally, the your, your captors let you go. In fact, they, are, they, they throw you out. And not only do you leave, you leave with all the wealth of Egypt. And not only do you leave with all the wealth of Egypt, there's a whole mass of foreigners who saying we're coming with you. You got the real God. And you get to the Red Sea, and, and uh, you're like, okay, where do we go from here? There's a sea in front of us. And now, all of a sudden, there's an army behind you, and that army is intent on killing you and destroying you. And what does God do? He opens up the Red Sea, and you're literally walking across what used to be sea on dry land. Put yourself in that place. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? And three months later, you come to a mountain, and and you're camped around this mountain. And, and Moses says, get ready, get ready. God's gonna show up, God's gonna show up. And he shows up, and he shows up in an incredible way. All of a sudden, there's thunder, there's lightning. You're hearing God's voice. You hear a trumpet so loud, it is so fearful, the people are trembling, saying, Moses, 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 tell God to stop. You talk to us. And then a year later, God... Uh, uh, um, yeah, you spent the next year crafting a tabernacle, a house, a place where God can dwell in the very midst. And so Moses sanctifies it. He sanctifies Aaron. He sanctifies the tabernacle. He consecrates everything. And, and, and then uh, after it's all consecrated, they put the offerings on the altar. And then all of a sudden, the glory presence of God comes down on the tabernacle. It is so heavy. It is so thick that that not even Moses can go in fire from heaven comes down it l- hits the altar consumes the offerings and the entire congregation falls on their face flat that is how intensely God desires to dwell among his people Fast forward a couple of hundred years, and, and, and he, he gives them the law to say, this is how to live this out. This is how to work this out. This is how to be righteous. This is how to be just. This is how to make this happen, to have my glory. And, and they, they keep walking away and walking away and walking away. God gives them a shepherd. God gives them a king. His name is David. He has a heart to follow God. And he wants to build the, tabard, the temple. He wants to build a glorious place for God to dwell among them. And, and his son Solomon inherits this. And so Solomon builds this temple. It's an absolutely beautiful building. Worshipful for God. And the whole congregation comes around and they're worshiping God. And Solomon prays and says, accept this offering for you as a house. And as he prays, as soon as he finishes, once again, the fire of God comes from heaven, consumes the offering on the altar. It lights the altar himself. God says, yes, I accept this as my house. And his glory comes in. The whole congregation falls in their face. But years go by and years go by, and as they go by, the people forget. The people start living in apostasy. They start living in idolatry. Idolatry so egregious that the strongest possible language in the prophets uh, condemning it as adultery. Saying, listen, return, return, or you will be exiled. And sure enough, they are exiled. They're in the foreign land. But the prophets say, God's going to build that temple again. He's going to build it. And his glory is going to come down on it again. And you will forever be my people. And you are in exile and you're looking forward to this. And 70 years later, you return. And so you build the temple. And you rebuild it. And yet God doesn't come down. And and Herod uh, uh, takes over, and he rebuilds this temple even great, creates the most glorious temple you could have. He's intent on being the king where the glory of God comes down, and the glory doesn't come down. And then a baby is born. And the presence of God comes to tabernacle among us. Then he's crucified, he's risen, he's ascended. Fifty days after his resurrection, you're gathered in the temple, and the fire of God comes down. Except this time, it doesn't come down to come in a building. This time, it comes down on the people of God. That's who you are. That's who you are. God wants a relationship with his creation. He's demonstrated it over and over in history. He sent his son so that that relationship can be so intimate and personal that he comes to dwell in us in all of his fire and all of his presence wouldn't it be important that we learn how to walk in that? Wouldn't it be important that we take that seriously? Because the only way others are going to see it is when we let him live that through us. When we decide that we want that fire from heaven that has reignited life in us, to go through us to touch others now there's a process to this there's a way this works notice something god is always moving Listen to what it says in Philippians. It says this. It says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God had you in his mind before he created anything, Ephesians says. Before the sun, the moon, the stars, and the universe were created, he conceived of you. He placed you in this time, in this place, and he is working in your life right now. It's not a matter or question of whether or not God's working or whether God's speaking. The question is whether or not we're listening. You see, because here's a problem. The problem is this, by and large, you and I, this world, are self-centered. Can I get an amen? And you see, the first thing that happens when we see God, when, we, when God moves, when he reveals himself, the very first thing that happens is we think about how it affects us. But see, what God is wanting us to do is to get past that. To go to the next place. And and he acts and he waits. See, God's not interested in what you want to do for him. He's interested in what he wants to do and will you do it with him. And what does that require? What it requires is it requires us to put us over here and to put him center. If If we are actually that temple and he has come to sit and dwell on it, then who's the king? You see, that's what it takes. It takes, if we understood that, that God is moving, God is speaking, and God desires to move through us, but the way that that happens is not that we try to get God to do what we want, but that we say, God, what is it you want? Now, here's, here's why we don't do that. It's very simple. Like I said, we're primarily self-centered, but what does that mean? What that means is, is when God speaks to us, we go, oh, no, God, not that. Moses I'm just, Lord, I'm just just taking care of my sheep. Can't you just let me take care of my sheep? No, leave and go to Egypt. Oh, no, God, you got the wrong person. Does God ever have the wrong person? Well, what's he asking you to do if he doesn't have the wrong person? Peter, Lord, leave me. I'm a sinful man. Leave me, Lord. But I'm a gracious master. Follow me. Paul, we need to put him in jail. We need to kill him. We need to get rid of him. (laughs) Jesus says, no, uh, actually, you're going to be an apostle. You see, he wants to change our perspective. He speaks. He calls us. And when he speaks and when he calls us, he's asking, he's waiting for us to listen to him. He's waiting for us. to. He's not asking us, what are you going to do? He's saying, I have something for you. When you're going to listen? When you're going to listen? You see, so listening to God, following God, requires suffering. Now, what it requires suffering in is it requires suffering and killing my flesh, killing myself, doing those things I don't want to do. But here's the thing: we're in really good company with that. How many know? for Jesus to follow the father it required suffering. But listen, it tells us this I mean we, this right here in Hebrews, in the days of his flesh Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard, why? because of his reverence. So he's crying out, loud cries, where did Jesus cry out loud cries and tears? Anybody remember the garden? Father, Can't you do it differently than this? Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. And although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So with that, I'm going to talk for a few minutes on what it means to learn to walk with God. How do we learn to do that? How do we learn to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? How do we learn to to be God-centered? First and foremost, it's not a method. It's a relationship. We want formulas. We want to say, okay, do A, do B, do C, E, okay? There are principles, and we're going to talk about principles. There are three principles we're going to talk about about sincerity of heart, patience, and the Spirit in the Word. We're going to talk about those things. But they're not a method. They're not a formula. They're ways in which we engage him in relationship disciplines. How many know relationships take discipline? If you're married, you should be shaking your head. If you're a parent, you should be shaking your head. If you're a parent, you're wishing your kid was shaking their head. right well, what's any different than our relationship with God? you see it takes it takes these uh uh, uh relationship disciplines all right, so there was a one incredible man of God, um uh, Henry Blackaby and Richard Blackaby write about uh George Mueller George Mueller uh, lived in the eighteen hundreds uh he was just uh, and he um st- He lived out exactly what we're talking about here. God called him. God said, I have a purpose. This is what I want to accomplish. He sensed God's activities, and he said, now go do it. And it literally upended his entire life. He left from Germany, ended up over in in Bristol, England. He's seeing kids on the street. He's seeing uh, um, there's a a lack of people listening to God, a lack of people following God. And and God speaks to him and says, start an orphanage. He doesn't have any money. He doesn't have any resources. He doesn't know how he's going to do this. And God says and he purposes in his heart, he has a revelation from God, the Lord speaks to him, and he never asks one person his entire life, his entire ministry for any resources He except God himself he prays. He died at the age of 93, and by the time he had died, he had four orphan homes uh, with 2,000 kids at a time, up to 10,000 orphans who had gone through his home. He had over $8 million that had been donated to his ministry that he had put into ministry, all by simply trusting and praying God and making the needs known to God. And he said, there are three principles of my relationship with God that, I, that, that help me, that enable me to trust God, to walk with him in this. Sincerity of heart, patience and the spirit and the word, having a pure heart before God, not what I want, but what he wants. Patience, waiting on God's timing, and spirit and word, making sure everything I do is in accordance with the spirit of God and the word of God. All right, so let's walk the, break this out. Let's walk through these. Number one sincerity of heart the question here is not whether or not God's speaking okay the que- God is speaking all the time the question is whether or not we really want to hear okay so you know, some people say well how do I know I mean maybe God's not speaking God is speaking the question is whether or not we want to hear how do you know if you want to hear how do you know if you want to hear it's very simple. Here's the test. You can write it down. You can test yourself later. Are you willing to change when he speaks? That's how you know. Are you willing to change when he speaks? That's how you're knowing if whether or not you're willing to hear God speaking. If you're not willing to change, you're not going to hear God speak. So look at, uh, look at Jeremiah 29:13. This is what he says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hearing the voice of God is a heart issue, not an ear issue. It's a heart issue. So how do you seek God with all your heart? The first thing is seek him for his sake, not yours. We may have a need. We may have something in front of us, and it's okay to lift the need before God. It's okay to mention it for him. But we have to ask him what his answer is for it, not ours. God, but I really wanted this job. God, but I really wanted this relationship. God, but I really wanted this healing. Are we seeking God for God's sake? Or are we seeking God for our sake? You see, because if we lack sincerity, we won't receive. James chapter four, verse three. "You ask and do not receive. Why? Because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, to spend it on yourself. Well, the Bible tells you, plain and simple, if we're asking simply to spend it on ourselves, that doesn't mean we don't ask for things for ourselves. That's not what it's saying. If, if I am treating God like a magic genie to get what I want, that's what it's talking about. Because if the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of, right, of God in his righteousness, and all other things shall be added unto you, right? Right? So there's nothing God's not going to provide for us, but we have to first seek him with all our heart. Search me, O God. Now, this is a prayer right here. This is one thing you can pray. This is, a, this is the way to take the scriptures, and you can test your heart before God. This is David's prayer right here. Ask God to search your heart. Ask him to search your heart, and then trust. Ask him to search, and then trust, and then just move forward. Here it is. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this scripture, but I'm gonna read it like a prayer. Search me, God. You know my heart. Try me. You know my thoughts. Is there anything in me that's grievous to you? I bring it right now to your grace. Lead me in the everlasting way. I like what Jesus says here, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. Father, you thought of me before of creation, not for me to do my own will, but for me to do your will. You're the one who sent me. You see, if we lack uprightness, we shouldn't think that God's going to give us anything. Listen to James here. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, I know a lot of people right away are going, oh no, I have doubts. It's not talking about having questions. No doubting does not mean to have questions. In fact, you can have the, your greatest time of faith comes when you have questions. What When James says no doubting, what he means is a divided heart. No loyalty to God. A heart that is split. That's what it means by doubting God. A heart that's following the world and and trying to follow the world and God at the same time. God, I want your answer, but I'm holding this over here just in case you don't give me what I want or like. That person will not receive anything from God, it says. In fact... I love this quote by Darian Lockett. In fact, wholehearted faith sometimes doesn't look strong at all. Wholehearted faith often looks like empty hands. I've got nothing else, God. I've got nowhere else to turn. All I have is you. If asking in doubt is divided loyalty, the kind of ask that gets wisdom from God is a wholehearted ask. And ask that says, God, I don't have anywhere else to turn. George Muller said this, if we want to learn to walk with God, if we want to learn to hear his voice, 90% of the problem, 90% of the problem is right here. A heart that wants to hear. If we have a heart that wants to hear, the rest will fall in place. The question is, are we really willing to change when God speaks? All right, number two, sincerity of heart. Number two, patience. Patience. Psalm 27 says this. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. God, give me patience and give it to me now. Anybody ever pray that? Yeah, don't. Don't don't suggest it because he will (laughs) when I was um when I was 19 I was uh engaged to be married and uh we we did not get married and over that next year is when God moved in my life in powerful way I submitted and surrendered to him and just uh incredibly profound ways he touched me and drew me to him and um uh, but I was really wanting to meet someone. I was really wanting to get married. So I started praying, Lord, I'm a, and I want to meet someone. I started uh, 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 talking to girls in church and things like that. You know, maybe I could find somebody. And I, uh, someone preached a scripture that dropped into my heart. It's um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I said it earlier. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all other things will be added unto you. And that dropped, I mean, like a... Pfft into and I said, well what's not included in all what no that's part of all Uh, uh, no that's all Uh, uh, that's all so i guess who i'm going to marry is part of that as well and so i just made a commitment at that point lord i'm just going to wait on you when it's time for me to get married you're going to show me who that right person is you'll open the door and it'll happen and i'm just going to trust you and i made that commitment i made that commitment because that's the commitment god called me to Do you wonder how many times I wanted to pick that commitment up? Every time she walked by. Who? Yeah. Is that the one? Is she the one? But let me tell you what waiting patiently before God is. Waiting patiently for God is not standing here like this when's God gonna show up. You need to think of waiting in the way we use the word server now. We used to use the word waiter. A waiter waiting on tables or a server waiting on tables is not just standing by like this. They are constantly active serving that table, constantly looking what's need. When you are seeking first the righteousness of God, you're seeking first his kingdom. You're waiting on God. Your attention is is focused. God knows the need. You've already presented it to him. You've already laid it before him. He is a good, good father who desires to give you good gifts. Your attention then on waiting should be constantly bringing, coming back to him. How can I serve you, Lord? How can I learn during this time of waiting? If we learn to wait patiently before God and not get in God's way, we're going to experience him much more. Let's take two lessons from the Bible. King Saul, King Saul would, had no idea he was going to be made king. He was chosen, and he was picked to be made king, and and he's the, this 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 uh, uh huge uh. uh person and personality, and, and he's trying to be the best king that, that, according to his flesh, that he can be. And so one day, Saul, Samuel tells him, listen, you need to wait. You need to not move. I will be there. You need to stay until I come. And Samuel doesn't show up when Saul wants him to show up. Saul takes matters into his own hands, and it literally causes the kingdom to be torn from his hands because he wasn't patient. But we, uh, you know, we can take a, uh, another example. How about Abraham? Abraham, God said, you will have a son. I'm going to give you a son, you will, he, uh, and, and, uh, and you will have the inheritance, I promise you. And what's Abraham and Sarah decide? Well, you know, we're going to help God out here. I mean, look, God, look, a son. <laughs> yeah, God goes, uh-uh. Step number two is to wait patiently. Before God. God is not slow. But what goes through our mind? What if God doesn't answer? What if God doesn't hear? What if God doesn't do it? You see, here's the problem with that. The problem with it is this. It's very simple. We started with a premise. God is the one who initiates it all. You would not have even asked him To begin with, if he wasn't already moving in your life. For it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Trust me, he knows what you prayed. You wouldn't have a godly desire without him. He couldn't be there. All right. Number three, sincerity of heart. The way we learn, we have to have a sincere heart. That's the big overcomer. Number two, we have to wait patiently for him to speak. Number three, spirit and word. Number three, spirit and word. John chapter 10, verse 2 says this, "...but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out." The Lord used this verse right here to teach me about hearing the voice of God in a very unique way. Uh, uh, many of you have heard me share this before, but it's, it's so profound in my life. I, it, it, it's still ingrained to this moment. I remember the revelation of it. I remember reading that going, oh my goodness, Jesus' sheep hear his voice. I, I want to be his sheep. I, I'm not hearing the voice of Jesus. Jesus. I got to go hear the voice. And I remember going to a park, and I spent literally the entire day sitting in a park going, Jesus, I got to hear your voice. I want to be your sheep. I got to hear your voice. I'm not hearing your voice. I heard wind. I heard leaves. I heard dogs. I heard squirrels. I heard people. I heard everything but the voice of Jesus, and I went home completely depressed. I'm not a sheep. I'm not hearing his voice. And I get home, and when I get home, there just happens to be a pastor visiting the house. And he looks takes one look at my face and goes, why are you so dejected? He goes, well, I wanted to be a sheep. but my sheep hear my voice. I'm not hearing his voice. I'm wondering if I'm a sheep. He goes, no, you don't understand. The very thought that you want to hear his voice doesn't come from you. It comes from him. You don't go to him first. He comes to you first. This is while we were enemies, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. So if you're going about your day, if you're operating, if you're moving about your day, and all of a sudden you start thinking about the Lord, that is God trying to get through to you, not you trying to get through to him. Well, that Monday, I was in work, and I'm working in a warehouse. I, was doing, I did rock and roll lights professionally, and I'm, I'm, I'm moving all these lights around, and, and, and none, of the, none of the other guys, they had all gone to lunch, so I put on the Christian music station, and I'm blasting the Christian music station, and I'm just worshiping the Lord, and I'm enjoying him, and all of a sudden, God speaks to me so clear. This is not you speaking to me. This is me speaking to you. You're a sheep. You see, there's two things that just operated there the Spirit of God and the Word of God in tandem. The Spirit of God and the Word of God. It was the Word of God that told me, it was the Spirit of God that made it alive. You see, John 14, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is here to bring to remembrance everything Jesus said. So it would be a good idea if we read it and got it in there to begin with so the Holy Spirit has something to work with. Did you all catch that? He sent the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What? The words of Jesus. So we probably ought to know the words of Jesus so he can use them. Think that might be important? Oh, I just need the Holy Spirit. Yes, you do. And you need the word. So number one, you know what is the Holy Spirit. And number two, so he can speak it into your life. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak to you. In other words, the Father sent the Spirit because he wants a relationship with you. You are that fire from heaven made alive. All Scripture is breathed out by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's the whole entire Bible. Why? Why? Hebrews 2. This is a verse we don't often use when it comes to the Word of God. Hebrews 4, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of heart, and we've come full circle. When the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, comes into your life, if you want it, it's going to require you to change. It's going to discern your heart. It's going to discern your motives. It's going to discern your thought. And then it's going to release the power of God in your life. And you're going to be more like Jesus. And you're going to be living and active. And when God speaks through circumstances, when God speaks through other people, you have the Spirit and the Word confirming it. We don't just listen to other people and chase the word of man. We don't just pay attention to circumstances and say, God must have opened this door. We take those things and we put them under the the, the spirit and the word together. So, for hundreds of years, from about 400 or 500 B.C. on, after the Israelites were exiled, they were longing for that moment when the fire of God would once again come down and reignite the altar, and the presence of God would once again dwell in the midst of his people. And they came back and they built the temple, and then Herod made it even bigger. And they're looking forward to the day. They're longing to the day. They're under oppression from the Romans. They're wondering when's this going to happen. They still, even though they're in the land, in their mind, they're still in exile. When, God? When? And then a baby is born. God tabernacling in our midst. Emmanuel, God with us. He suffers on our behalf. He rises on our behalf. And he sends the fire of God to us and in us so that the word of God can be consummated in the world. And you are the consummation of God's word in the world. So I exhort you this morning to learn to walk in it. Have a sincere heart. Let him search your heart. Have patience to wait on him. And allow it to be mixed with the sword, with the word and the sword, the sword and the spirit. Amen.